Welcome back to The Boy from Splendora, Texas by Wallace Gibbs. The Approaching Storm, 1982, Episode 13. In the fall of 1982, I entered my junior year at Splendora ISD. My first period class was with Miss Van Dyson for geometry. I liked Algebra 1 and Algebra 2, but I really loved geometry because I found it to be more concrete than algebra. The use of angles and area was so much easier for my mind to understand than the theory of math and algebra. Becky had started working independently from the rest of the class as she and Miss Van Dyson developed a special curriculum just for her so that she could go at her own pace. She was a whiz at mathematics and would go on to major in mathematics at Sam Houston State University after we graduated. My second period class was with Mr. Van Dyson for chemistry. Again, another subject that I loved. It was amazing to be able to clearly see the mathematical relationship between chemistry and geometry. My third period class was with Miss Backus for English too. We learned to diagram sentences and dug deeper into the structure of the English language. Something that I abhorred at the time but have come to appreciate in my later years. Lunch was next. It was a rare occasion for us to be able to buy our lunch in the cafeteria, so there was no need to stampede like the majority of kids in high school. Becky, Mike, and Bridget were in the same boat that I was in, and we all moseyed to the cafeteria, ate our sack lunches, and if we had time, we played double solitaire with each other. The best days were when I had a little extra money to buy Little Debbie Star Crunch snacks in the cafeteria after the line had died down. My fourth period class was with Miss Marie Wright for physics. Again, I was amazed at the relationship between geometry, chemistry, and physics, and how they all were interrelated. I found physics to be the most difficult of all three subjects as evidenced by my final grade of 88 at the end of the year. My fifth period class was with Miss Linda DeFord for American History. Every one of my siblings had Miss DeFord at one time during their education at Splendora ISD. For the longest time, I thought her name was Misty Ford when my sisters referred to her, which was unusual because my parents made us address adults by their proper title, Miss, Mrs., or Mr. It was not until I got into high school that I realized that everyone was saying Misty Ford, not Misty Ford, because of the emphasis my sisters put on the syllables of her name. My turn to meet Miss DeFord came, and what a ride it was. I learned that Miss DeFord held high expectations for me and others in the class and was strict in controlling the classroom. But 
always had time for a good laugh. In fact, her laugh was so fantastic that it became mine and Mike Futrell's mission to see if we could crack her up at least once during our learning period. I learned later in life that when Mr. Ford was faced with a group of kids with varying academic abilities, she would give different exams based on that kid's ability. For me, Mike, Becky, and Bridget, that meant the hardest of the exams, while others had an easier exam that they could take so that they would pass the class. What a great teacher. My sixth period class was with Miss Walton for Spanish 3. This was the first time that Splendora had offered a Spanish 3 class. There were about 10 of us in the class, and it gave Miss Walton the ability to really work closely with us on our grammar and dialect. During the spring, she and her husband treated us to a dinner at Casa Elena in Kingwood. Casa Elena was more elegant than Monterey House or Casa Olay and opened my eyes to a new Mexican experience. On September 14, 1982, Brother Barlow passed away. Of all of Mama's and Daddy's friends, the Barlows were the closest. It was such a bitter day when we found out, only to have the pendulum swing full arc on the next day, September 15, 1982, when Mama and Daddy welcomed their first grandchild, Heather Lee Lumen, into the world. The pendulum swung back on September 16, 1982, the day that we buried Brother Barlow. This was the first funeral that I had attended with the exception of my grandfather's funeral in 1971. Today, you hear so much about the superheroes from DC Comics and Marvel Comics. There's Superman, Batman, Captain America, the Hulk, and my favorite, Spider-Man. The five of us Gib kids were really blessed to be surrounded by people that we called our heroes. No, they didn't fly through the air, dodge bullets, or swing from building to building. But they did love, care, watch over, and encourage us to become God-fearing, responsible adults. A person could not ask for anything better. I really don't know when my parents met Alan Barlow. I do remember watching home movies that showed Brother Barlow, his first wife, Verlene, along with his kids, Al and Rhonda, at our house in the backyard. There's no audio to the black and white film, but to all appearances, everyone was having a good time. Brother Barlow and Verlene lived in Pasadena, a suburb of Houston on the east side of town. I don't remember Verlene but I do know that she died. I only remember Miss Cheryl Barlow, his second wife, and Mama's best friend. When Brother Barlow was in the Korean War, his unit was hit by a mortar shell. When help arrived, there were dead bodies everywhere, and soldiers began to pile them up. Brother Barlow was in one of those piles when someone 
happened to see him move. His eardrum was burst, he had a broken clavicle on the right side, and lost the bottom quarter of one lung. He spent over a year in the hospital. He never regained full strength in his right arm. Before the war, he was a lineman for the phone company. When he returned to work after the war, he could no longer work outside, so they found him a job inside, and that is where he met Miss Cheryl Barlow. In 1973, Brother Barlow and Miss Barlow moved to Splendora, just four houses down from us. They built a grand two-story red brick home with white trim that had a long circle driveway. Shortly after that, their daughter Rachel was born. Daddy won a trip to Europe in 1974 by being the top salesman for Shell Steel. Brother Barlow and Miss Barlow were such trusted friends that Virgil and I stayed with them during the 10-day trip. Brother Barlow was an integral part of my life for over 16 years. He was a regular at our house on Saturday mornings along with Brother Nelson and Brother Skeeter. There are family movies showing Brother Barlow helping Daddy cut down trees using a large cross-cut saw that required two men to handle. Daddy would be on one end and Brother Barlow would be on the other end, pushing and pulling the saw through a tree trunk while they smiled and laughed. Brother Barlow and Miss Barlow were fixtures at Harmony Baptist Church in New Caney and were there every time the doors opened. Brother Barlow had a great bass voice and was relied upon to sing the prominent bass parts in songs like Just a Little While, Camping in Canaan's Land, and Are You Washed in the Blood. He was born September 11, 1929, exactly two months before Daddy was born. He died from lung cancer at the age of 53 years old. When I was 16, that seemed to be so old. But now that I'm in my 50s, it seems so young. If you were to poll Virgil, Charlotte, Gail, and Gina, they would all put Brother Barlow in the top five people in our lives as kids along with Brother Mays. To lose two of our heroes in less than nine months was devastating. Virgil was especially close to Brother Barlow. And here is a poem that I wrote about that awful day at the funeral. This is saying to the tune of The Year That Clayton Delaney Died by Tom T. Hall. I remember the day that Brother Barlow died. It's one of the few times I saw my brother Virgil cry. Brother Barlow loved us, all five of us kids. The Lord gave us a hero, and I'm really glad that he did. Bum, ba, da, ba, da, bum, ba, doo, doo. The Barlows live just a few houses down. On most Saturday mornings, at our house could be found. He was a war hero from the Korean War. 
But the best thing that he gave us was that he really loved the Lord. I remember the day that Brother Barlow died. It's one of the few times I saw my brother Virgil cry. Brother Barlow loved us, all five of us kids. The Lord gave us a hero, and I'm really glad that he did. We sat on the left side of the church that day. On that pew in age order, we bowed our heads to pray. In my mind, I hear him trying to hold it all in. I looked over and saw the tears running down Virgil's chin. I remember the day that Brother Barlow died. It's one of the few times I saw my brother Virgil cry. Brother Barlow loved us, all five of us kids. The Lord gave us a hero, and I'm really glad that he did. At the funeral, I don't remember what our pastor said. The five of us watched as the services were led. Our hearts were really hurting in our church that day as we watched some men take our hero's casket away. I remember the day that Brother Barlow died. It's one of the few times I saw my brother Virgil cry. Brother Barlow loved us, all five of us kids. The Lord gave us a hero, and I'm really glad that he did. Nineteen eighty-three rolled. Nineteen eighty-two rolled into nineteen eighty-three. The economy in Houston kept getting worse, and in early nineteen eighty-three, Daddy had to close the doors to his machine shop. Daddy had mortgaged our house, the barn, and all three acres so that he could open up the machine shop. The failure of Daddy's business left him with a whopping debt of $250,000. We were in danger of losing everything that we had. The great thing about Daddy is that you just he didn't just sit down and bemoan his misfortune. The Hicks were our family friends and they told Daddy that they would introduce him to a man named Sonny Aguilar who was put in charge of all the mortgage defaults in the Houston area for the VA and the FHA. Mr. Aguilar would hire Brother Ted to take a house, get it cleaned, mow and trim the lawn, and in all aspects get the house ready to be sold. At first, Brother Ted had enough to keep him busy. But as the recession got worse, he needed help, right about the same time that Daddy's business had failed. Brother Ted helped Daddy to get started 
which allowed Daddy to pay bills and take care of us. During the summer of 1983, Virgil and I spent every Saturday helping Daddy clean houses. As the fall of 1983 approached, Daddy hired Bobby Lumen, Gail's husband, who had been laid off at his job. Virgil and I returned to school in August of 1983. My first period class was with Mr. Gary Young for English 4. I loved Mr. Young's class because we learned the etymology of words as well as root words that could be found in our everyday vocabulary. We also learned how to write a research paper, which would be extremely helpful in my upcoming college years. My second period class was with Miss Walton for government. I was lucky enough to have had Miss Walton for all four years of my high school education. She was a great teacher and a great mentor. My third period class was with Miss Fendison for trigonometry, a class that Mama had to go to the Splendor ISD school board to force the school to offer me, Mike, Bridget, and Becky so that we would be better prepared for college. I am so glad that Mama did this because even with this class, I was far behind my peers when I entered college. My fourth period class was with Mr. Fendison for Biology II. This was the first time this class was offered at Splendor ISD and was due in large part to the hunger that the four of us had to learn more so that we were prepared for college. My fifth period class was with Miss Trailer for typing. I think that because of all the piano lessons that I had, typing came natural for me, and there were only a few people in class that were better typists than I was. My sixth period class was with Miss Davis for student aid. During your senior year, a teacher could select you to help them with various school sub subjects or projects, and Mike and I were very lucky to be selected by the school librarian, Melissa Davis, to be her assistants. The homecoming game for 1983 was against Cold Spring, Texas. Becky was on the student council and approached me to ask me if I would be a candidate for homecoming king. Becky explained that although there really wasn't a position for homecoming king, as part of a fundraising activity, they would take a picture of five different guys' legs from the mid-thigh down. The pictures would be anonymous and students would vote on the best pair of legs by dropping in coins into the one-pound coffee cans that the pictures were attached to. I told Becky that I really wasn't sure if my parents would allow something like this because they might find it immodest. Becky pleaded with me to ask. I went home and asked Mama, who, to my surprise, agreed to allow me to do it. I went in the next day and Becky told Mama I went in the next day and told Becky that Mama said that I could do it. She instructed me that keeping this project secret was super important as it added to the mystery of the contest. I told her that for sure I wasn't going to tell anyone. Becky asked me to meet her in Mr. Fendison's room at 3.30, at which time I would change into my gym shorts, which in the 1980s were decently short. 
I stood in front of a large piece of black paper and Becky took the Polaroid picture. Homecoming had arrived and I dreaded the pep rally only because I would have to stand in front of the entire high school student body with four other guys who had participated. I was standing next to Bobby Busby and remember telling him that I couldn't wait for them to announce the homecoming king so that this would be over and I could go back to the bleachers. The gym got suddenly quiet as Becky and Tater Wells explained the rules of the contest. One of them said, And now the 1983-1984 homecoming king for Splendora is. It seemed like an eternity before they said, Wallace Gibbs! I couldn't believe it and started backing up hoping to make an escape. Lana Wilson, who was in the Wildcat mascot costume, ran over, grabbed my arm, and began to parade me around the gymnasium. The crowd erupted in cheers. I turned several shades of red. After the pep rally ended, I asked Becky how that even happened. There was no way that I had better looking legs than Bobby Busby. Becky started to laugh and told me that Mama had stuffed the ballot box so much that this was their highest ranking fundraiser for the year. On September 25, 1983, I received a letter dated September 23, 1983 from Texas A&M University announcing that I had been accepted into the university and would begin classes that fall. I was on my way of getting out of Splendora, Texas. I couldn't wait. In 1983, Charlotte met a man named Greg Gillum, a sales representative for a computer company named Triad, which had sold a computer system to Community Ace Hardware, where Charlotte worked. In January 1984, Charlotte married Greg Gillum, and they moved to a house in Spring, Texas. In the spring of 1984, I started going to school for only a half a day, which I was allowed to do since I had already achieved the necessary credit to graduate. After school, Mama would pick me up, and then we would join Daddy on job sites. The night of May 16, 1984, my friend Carrie Duke was killed in a car accident in front of the Hayden store. It was a devastating event for the entire high school and a story that is related uh, later on. On June 1st, I graduated from Splendora High School, ranked second in my class out of 94 people. This opened a new chapter in my life, and I was no longer the boy from Splendora, Texas, but now I was becoming the man from Splendora, Texas, as I embarked on this new journey. This concludes The Approaching Storm by Wallace Gibbs. Epilogue One of my friends told me that he was enjoying this story and could not wait to see what the ending would be. The entire purpose of The Approaching Storm was to show what type of person my daddy was. First of all, 
without a doubt, my daddy loved the Lord. God was first in our lives, and daddy made sure of that. We were at the church building every time the doors opened, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, and for the yearly revival led by a visiting pastor. Daddy and Mama taught us very early that the first 10% of everything that we earned belonged to the Lord. Even when times were tough in 1982 through 1988, tithes were the first thing to come out of Daddy's earnings. Brother Jack's salary, the electric bill, and all the other expenses were paid for out of church tithes that all of the church members gave so Daddy never wavered. Daddy also never changed who he was as a person, even when he was financially successful as a steel salesman, all the way to cleaning houses for a living. Daddy was always the same person. He never wavered. He never faltered in his love of the Lord or his love for his family. In 1986, Daddy had saved enough money to settle the debt at Community Bank. The president of the bank came and personally thanked Daddy because many of his clients had simply defaulted on their loan and had left the bank in a precarious position. Things like this and so many others make me proud to be the son of Gene Gibbs. I sure miss him and wish that I could tell him how much I appreciate him to this very day, and the things he taught me and the way he raised me has enabled me to survive my own storms. Thank you, Daddy, for who you were, and thank you, Father, for giving me such a fine man in my life. Thank you for joining me for The Approaching Storm by Wallace Gibbs. The Boy from Splendora, Texas.